When we apply the topic of collaboration to teams, one of the things that we start with is some pretty basic teaching points on what team collaboration is and what team collaboration looks like. And what we're doing now is we're we're starting this part of the conversation around what does it mean to be on a team and to trust one another? Because without this element of trust, a lot of collaboration or a lot of effective collaboration cannot really happen. And this idea of trust is you're trusting a person to show up as a collaborator in the unique ways that they collaborate the best. And you're also trusting that when you're relying on someone else to do the same thing, that you give them enough space to actually be a key contributor. So collaboration, we think, is a primary form of how you can build team trust. You are listening to the Leadership Vision Podcast, where we share our expertise in the discovery, practice, and implementation of a strengths-based approach to people, teams, and culture. For resources about developing your strengths, the strengths of your team, or the strengths of your entire organization, visit us on the web at leadershipvisionconsulting.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Nathan Freeberg, and today on the podcast, we're talking about collaboration. This is the first episode in a four-part series where Brian and Linda Schubring discuss our approach and philosophy to helping teams thrive through one of our team engagement series around the topics of collaboration, communication, conflict, and change. While these four episodes can stand on their own, it'll be helpful for you to listen to all of them to get a better understanding and idea about how we help teams thrive. Now, before we dive into this topic about how teams collaborate, I think it would be really helpful to share just a little bit about our process and start with a basic definition of a team engagement series. So what is a team engagement series? At Leadership Vision, a team engagement series consists of four 90-minute sessions on a given topic. We have a few of these. The four C's is one, which you'll be learning about here over the next few weeks. But we also have sessions on knowledge, purpose, and trust, emotional health and well-being, courageous leadership, and strengths-based team development. All these sessions were really born out of necessity. Our clients just kept asking for them. And a lot of the series that we have developed is as a result of you know, clients that we work with that use strengths, that use it in a variety of ways, that are using it on their teams, they're using it to influence culture. And we picked some of these topics after working with over 200 teams about four or five years ago. And they have, uh, as we've worked with different teams, this, this whole process has evolved and it kind of allows us to flex some of our adaptive muscles as we um, talk to people about how they communicate and how they collaborate and navigate conflict and change. The Four C's series, as we like to call it, was created because we found that teams that were good at collaborating, communicating, conflict management, and dealing with change, well, they just seemed to be the most successful. We had the opportunity to work with 100 teams with a specific organization, and it was after working with these 100 teams that we began to ask ourselves the question, what makes some teams successful, and why are some teams always struggling uh, to get along with each other and even to accomplish anything? How And through asking that question, we just started talking as a team about what 
were some of those key elements. And we just happened to just fall on these ideas of every team that is doing well, every team that has a high degree of functionality, they tend to communicate well, they know how to work together, so they know how to collaborate, and they tend to have unique ways of navigating conflict and dealing with change because in the organizational environments that we are finding ourselves working in, change and conflict is always coming up. And it's and coincidentally, it's those four same things that seem to be the key issues when teams begin to struggle. It can kind of get boiled down to a breakdown in collaboration, uh, miscommunication, and then a team's willingness to either engage change or deal with conflicts. So that's where this whole team engagement idea started. What made teams healthy and what were some of their struggles? Now, when we're called in to work with teams around these topics, well, sometimes they can be in a bit of a crisis situation, but more often than not, we come in and work on these competencies to better prepare a team to handle them when these things do inevitably come up. A lot of times when teams begin to struggle with something, they get really focused on what that one thing is. And everyone's mind is focused on that. And there there really isn't this um, awareness, you could say, of what's really at stake. So you can solve for the problem, you can solve for that solution, but never really address that there was miscommunication between a couple of people, that there was a relational conflict existing there, so some people weren't even playing. And that's really what we're trying to get at is um, there are just ways in which teams tend to function and relate to one another. And when the heat is dialed up and the problems are right in their faces, they tend to forget that we still need to communicate well. We still need to understand what our collaborative objective is. Um, I think that's what, what it is that we are doing is helping people just understand what is the natural relational dynamic that exists on that team. Because if a team cannot understand the relational dynamic, they're oftentimes going to struggle in trying to achieve any professional objective. We also approach these sessions first from the perspective of the individual, then the team, and finally the overall organizational culture. When we talk about people, we usually focus on the individual. We seed them back into uh, their experience, their environment. We move to teams and uh, help people understand that they are a part of a team, whether they are the leader of the team or they are a leader on the team. And then we move to what this topic says about the culture and helps people uh, realize that they are a shaper of culture and they can use their strengths and some of the things that they are learning about themselves and each other to you know, have some kind of action statement out of this. Okay, so now that you know some of the background and philosophy of a team engagement session, let's dive into our conversation today around the topic of collaboration. Here's Brian talking about how we start these sessions. Every time we start a team engagement series, that's where we start, is this focus on who is it that you are as a person and what do you bring to this team? And then we address that that topic. We always start with a definitional understanding of what we are talking about. So in the context of collaboration, we will introduce some prompts to the team members and give them a chance to think individually about these prompts and then talk to others. And so here are some of the prompts, again, starting with 
just defining it. What What is your definition of collaboration? So we'll say things like, for you, collaboration is, and they can begin to answer that question, collaboration is not. What does collaboration look like? And what does collaboration feel like? And just through a series of simple prompts like that, people will begin to think, well, you know, I never really thought like, what does collaboration look like? Or what does collaboration mean for me? And that's really where we start because I, I believe that one of the greatest mistakes teens make is the assumption that we all believe collaboration looks and feels the same. And we have discovered that, no surprise to anybody, that collaboration will, as a, will have as many definitions as you have members of the team. So we want to bring that up from the very beginning that, hey, by the way, we don't all agree on what effective collaboration really is in the first place. So you might be thinking that to get everyone to agree on what collaboration is, we present a definition and make the group memorize it. Well, that's actually not at all what we do. We try really hard not to give the individuals a cookie-cutter definition of collaboration. Each person's definition will be unique depending on their various contexts. If we were to come in and tell the individuals or the team how to define collaboration, well, it could kind of derail the whole process. So what we'll do is we'll say things like the last time we worked with a group, they said collaboration was, you know, we all work together and we have fun while we're doing it. So we'll give anecdotal examples to kind of get them thinking about it. Um, Another one was we asked what collaboration is not, and one team said collaboration is not power struggles. So you kind of feed them that, but you don't give them too much. You just let them define it for you. But then as they're talking back, we really do a great degree of note-taking to capture what it is that they're all saying, because we'll use that later on in the conversation. This approach gives teams a greater sense of ownership over the whole thing. It also helps them determine what they need as individuals and as a team for the process to be meaningful. It really reveals a lot. A lot of the teams that we work with spend more time being collegial than really collaborative. They are lone wolves. They are doing their own thing. Oftentimes, some te- you know team members won't even realize that their actions affect someone else. And so... We, we also see them into this prompt where we say, you know, as a collaborator, I what? And they'll say, well, as a collaborator, I've learned to let go. Uh, as a collaborator, I've learned to listen. As a collaborator, I will hinge my work on a common goal. As a collaborator, I assume positive intent. And that's just not a catchphrase. And sometimes we just ask, well, then what does that mean? What does that look like? And the more people respond, uh, begins to grow this different sense of, okay, is, is this good group good at collaborating or do they need some work? Um, sometimes things that are revealed are the level of trust a group has or... Um, sometimes there's a couple people that just stand out, like they don't want to play, they don't want to be there. And we're inspiring them to move to greater team health, greater team functionality by way of just being able to um, own the fact that they have a say and they, they need to show up, be present and participate in a team. We'll be right back. At Leadership Vision Consulting, we have spent 23 years helping individuals explore the depth and dimension of their personal strengths and have helped hundreds of teams build positive culture. 
We're excited to now announce our new online membership platform that brings together the resources, community, and motivation that you need to grow your influence and build a positive team culture. Through our courses, workshops, live Q&A sessions, and more, you'll gain the skills and confidence you need to lead effectively. And with our supportive community of like-valued leaders, you'll never feel like you're doing it alone. Visit leadershipvisionconsulting.com slash community to learn more. So we get a team talking about what collaboration means to them as individuals, you know, what it looks like, what it feels like, what happens when it's missing. And then we bring up this next point around preferences. We all have them, and some of them are deeply rooted. Your preferences for collaboration today are built upon some of the early collaborative experiences you've had, you know, in your early 20s, in your early professional life. So one of the main points of discussion in this first application of the idea of, co- of collaboration is to ask them this. Think of an early collaborative experience that has really shaped who you are today as a collaborator. We'll just ask them that question. Uh, we'll try to put them in the context of an early professional relationship where they've experienced collaboration. And then we'll ask them to think about what role did they play? What, were, what was the actual outcome of that collaborative experience? And who did you partner with? Uh, So we really want to know that too. And the reason why those three questions are important is because when we turn the corner to talk about how this particular team collaborates, we're going to ask them, what role are you playing in this collaboration? Do you have clear defined outcomes? And really important, who do you collaborate well with and who do you not collaborate so well with? So we really want to talk about how as collaborators on a team, we do influence and work off of how other people on the team are collaborating or are not collaborating. And we've heard all the examples. We've heard, you know, when I worked at a grocery store when I was, you know, a teen or when I was on a sports team or when I led my first team uh, at, at the first company that I worked at. And it's amazing to watch these individuals almost go back in time and speak about some of these things that they have not thought about for a very long time. And when they actually go back there, they're, they're drawing on some of the lessons that they learned. They are sometimes making realizations that they keep tripping up on the same things that they did, you know, since their football team um, back when they were, you know, 16, 17 years old. And our job then is to help guide this conversation. But the other thing that we are doing is we're beginning to tag their stories with strengths we are starting to say, wow, that's maybe the birth of your strategic. Wow, that, that might be, you know, your drivenness in this might, might point to your achiever. And so we're giving them some handles using strengths, but, but only by way of a language, not, you know, not the, the whole teaching point. We're using the strengths language and we're helping them see how some of their collaborative tendencies were birthed and have grown over their lifetime. When I've led these sessions with a group, I'm always amazed at what comes up. Connections are made that you really can't plan for as a consultant. 
One example or memory leads to 10 others. And pretty soon, people are making all kinds of connections to collaborative experiences that they maybe haven't thought about for years. And that puts them also in a place of professional and personal vulnerability, as well as a place of personal and professional pride. Because in that place of reflection, people are going to understand or just be aware again that, hey, I could have done something better. And when they say that out loud, that's presenting some vulnerability to everybody else. And they may also be reminded of that place of pride where it's like, you know, they're saying to themselves, I really did a good job, and I, or I, I really partnered well with someone who pays attention to details like that. And then they are reminding themselves of these positive experiences that they are truly proud of. And when they share that out loud, that also leads the other members of the team to realize that there's a very specific contributing element that that individual can bring that they may or may not have tapped into right yet. This process helps participants understand their preferences about how they like to collaborate, as Brian just said. They know how their strengths inform the good and the bad aspects of how they collaborate. But while knowing your personal preferences is great, it really only matters in a team setting, right? I mean, however you define a team, work, friends, family, whatever, none of us are collaborating alone. This is the next step in our people, teams, and culture process, and it really has a lot to do with trust. When we apply the topic of collaboration to teams, one of the things that we start with is some pretty basic teaching points on what team collaboration is and what team collaboration looks like. And what we're doing now is we're, we're starting this part of the conversation around what does it mean to be on a team and to trust one another? Because without this element of trust, a lot of collaboration or a lot of effective collaboration cannot really happen. And this idea of trust is you're trusting a person to show up as a collaborator in the unique ways that they collaborate the best. And you're also trusting that when you're relying on someone else to do the same thing, that you give them enough space to actually be a key contributor. So collaboration, we think, is a primary form of how you can build team trust. And on a live team, one of the best ways is to get some agreement around naming a collaborative experience. Uh, giving them a place to contextualize some of the learning that they just did when they were considering themselves and their own story. Now all these stories have merged, all these stories have intersected, and you start to realize where you know some of the behaviors are life-giving or generative to the team. And you see some of the examples where their life sucking for the the team or they're degenerative. And sometimes when teams begin to name a collaborative experience that they it was all hands on deck, they had to, you know, navigate through this, uh, this was coming at them, they start to, you know, kind of point out uh, different perspectives. So uh, one person was like, this was the best thing ever. And then all of a sudden, someone else will say, well, actually, this was the most, you know, I left, I lost sleep over it. Um, you know, my family suffered because I just, I couldn't handle it. And all of a sudden, this one collaborative experience, you are hearing eight to 10 very different uh, stories and narratives around that. And, and so we're able to name some of the, the things like, Okay, well, what role did you play? Well, I didn't play because she was handling it at all. Um, or, you know, what kind of challenges surfaced? And like, well, you know, I just, 
there were there were some easy ones that we could do, but then I just you know worked worked late at night to get it accomplished. And so when we get people to really own the roles that they played or didn't play in collaboration, all of a sudden, you know, we are looking at how this team collaborates through a microscope and saying, do you see this? Do you see that? And then they begin to work as a team to decide what are they going to take forward? How are they going to... um, do better next time. And and maybe if they did really great, we say, okay, well, what are some ways that you could, Im- you know, improve? Or how do you take those positive lessons into the next time that you do it? Or how do you give away some of those opportunities? You can just imagine how lively that conversation is as they're all talking about this shared experience that they've all gone through together. Now, part of the role that we play um, as facilitators of this conversation is we are listening for the themes that we're going to be, to be bringing up or addressing later. Um, one of the things that we're always looking for to make this applicable is how are you gaining an understanding of each other on your team? We're also looking at some of the strengths and weaknesses when a team collaborates together. It can, it's pretty clear what the things are doing well, and it's pretty clear what things they keep tripping up on. One of the other important ideas that we're searching for is what is this team's collaborative threshold? Like what's their real capacity for collaboration? Sometimes you just have some personalities on the team that they just run that team collaborative experience and there's not a whole lot of room for the whole team to collaborate. So you're looking for what that threshold is and you're also trying to name some of the preferences of the team members. Sometimes just an objective and outside perspective coming in and just naming someone like saying, hey, Lisa, you do a really good job at this. And I'm I'm hearing this other person contribute in a unique way as a collaborator. And to begin to name those things, it's just to draw people's awareness to what contribution each member of the team is making. Because sometimes those unique contributions are often overlooked, again, for the cause that they're actually collaborating on. So we want to bring back that human element to the collaborative process too. And this is where the culture piece comes in because we want each collaborator to embrace the fact that they are a shaper of culture. All of us shape culture positively and negatively. Again, be that on a work team, on a family team, on your softball team, whatever it is, there's rarely, if ever, a neutral response when it comes to shaping culture. Linda shared a story about how one very collaborative team they worked with recently used humor as part of their culture. But then they came to the realization that not everybody was in on the joke. And uh, so it seemed, you know, like everything was fun and, you know, we were having a good time. And I started to realize that they were also using humor to be really cutting. Humor dipped into sarcasm and it, it dipped into shaming And what they were most proud about was the fact that they have a great sense of humor as a team. And when we moved into being shapers of culture, uh, we were uh, we were able to help them realize that this humor was cutting. And how do they um, kind of recalibrate, you know, the the positive nature of humor and not 
use it as a detractor or just to kind of stick a knife into each other. So a lot of the statements that came out of as a shaper of culture, I'm going to watch my mouth. Um, um, as a shaper of culture, I want to use my humor to build people up. Uh, as a shaper of culture, um, I want to, you know, laugh at other people's jokes and not just be the center of attention. So it was just an interesting interesting conversation where we we started with collaboration and then we unearthed some unhealthy or dysfunctional habits and then empowered them to make the change on their own. We always end these sessions the same way by asking participants to answer the same question. How am I a shaper of culture? It allows people to take responsibility for their culture and not just sit back and expect someone else to do the heavy lifting. When it comes to culture, if you're present, you play a part. That's one thing we always remind teams of is whether you're an, you're an active participant or not at all, you still have a shaping influence on the health and well-being of that culture. So along those lines, I'd like to leave you with a little activity. First, on your own, think about and jot down some of your earliest memories or experiences with collaboration. For me, it was when I was perhaps in third or fourth grade. I was in this youth club thing. It may have been Cub Scouts or 4-H. I really can't remember. But what I do remember was that we were trying to come up with a name for our little group. I remember even then, I was the one throwing out name after name after name. Nearly all of them terrible, but it seemed to, at least as I remember it today, get the wheels of brainstorming started and get it flowing and other people had ideas. In some ways, that's still the role I play in most groups, but I like to think that my ideas are getting a little better over time. Okay, so after you've done that, maybe get three or four solid memories going and take those to a team meeting of some kind. Make sure that you set it up ahead of time and maybe suggest this to your supervisor that everyone on the team does this. Or if you are the supervisor, well, I guess that'll be a little bit easier, <laughs> but have a few people share their stories. Then just think about how those memories compare to the role that those people play today on the team when it comes to the collaborative efforts of the group. You can do this over the course of several team meetings so everybody has a chance to share. We love to hear how this goes, so leave us a comment on social media, on our blog, or just send us an email at connect.leadershipvisionconsulting.com. And there's links to all of this in the show notes. Thank you to Brian and Linda for taking a couple hours to record all of these podcasts and giving us a little peek under the hood of our process. Next week, we're going to be talking about communication, which may seem redundant, but it's about making sure that there is understanding with whatever it is that you may be trying to communicate. And thank you for listening to the Leadership Vision Podcast, where we share our expertise in the discovery, practice, and implementation of a strengths-based approach to people, teams, and culture. For more resources about developing your strengths, the strengths of your team, or the strengths of your entire organization, visit us on the web at leadershipvisionconsulting.com. And if you found value from this episode or any of our content, we'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us in Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast. Please share this podcast and our other resources with anyone you think might benefit from going deeper into our strengths-based approach to individual, team, and organizational development. I'm Nathan Freeberg, and on behalf of our entire team, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.